welcome to the first episode of Clara Partners Digital Selves podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Clara Partners is an international business innovation and service design firm, helping corporations and startups around the globe to navigate the constant disruptions taking place in the world and to make sense of their impact on customer behaviors and expectations for your products and services. I'm Sarika Robin, and I have a background in anthropology and behavioral research. Today, I'm joined first by Cyril Mori, director at Claro, whose background is in political science and business strategy. And second, by Rich Radka, founding partner, who has led teams of social scientists, designers, and business strategists for over 20 years. Say hello, everyone. Hello. Hello, everyone. This is the first podcast in a series of three, and in this episode, we will introduce the basic concept of digital selves and why we believe they will become a critical component to future interactions between businesses and their customers. In this episode, we will also highlight thoughts and words from an interview we recently conducted with Michael Schrage, who is a research fellow at the MIT Sloan School Center for Digital Business. Michael is also a columnist for Fortune, CIO Magazine, and MIT's Technology Review. He's also the author of two critically acclaimed books, Serious Play, How the World's Best Companies Simulate to Innovate, and Shared Minds, The New Technologies of Collaboration. So we'll start by providing a brief definition of what we mean by digital self. I will keep it short, but of course we'll dig into it deeper during the conversation. Um, so digital selves are digital agents that will provide hyper-personalized advice based on analysis of the constant stream of data you produce. So in a sense, you can think of the digital self as an evolution of the concept of digital identity, but with a key shift from a passive to an active entity that is able to advise or even act on your behalf. Uh, a good metaphor to think about it is some form of concierge or even a coach or an advisor that will provide you with advices. So the implications of the digital selves are vast and they're deep. First off, digital selves will take necessary but mundane tasks off our to-do list. In our super productive oriented world, that's the first thing we think of. But second of all, they'll potentially become our proxies, um, the new gatekeepers, if you will, to which companies and other outside entities will need to present offers or negotiate with before they can access our attention and win our business or uh, to, to even gain admittance to, to interact with us. And then, you know, our interactions with digital selves will represent a significant step in human AI relationships. We will interact with our digital selves frequently, very intimately, and place a level of, of trust on them that we can't even imagine. The love and devotion to your smartphone today is nothing in comparison to what's coming with these digital selves. And these implications that I mentioned are just the beginning, because in these three podcasts, our contributing experts, and Sarika and Cyril, will dig even more deeply into the eye-opening possibilities that really seem to be credible futures um, that we need to anticipate. So what, what Rich just said like, might seem a little far off or almost like science fiction to, to your ears, uh, but really we think that despite the fact that digital self are not quite here yet, uh, it is very likely that we'll see them happening like, very, very soon. So to give a little context, everything we do today leaves a digital trace. Our online transactions, every online movie that we watch, every video that we post or text that we tweet, the list goes on. Each of these online interactions generates a digital trace of what we do, with whom, and where. To give you some examples, Amazon has been using machine learning and big data for years to help predict our shopping habits. Netflix uses algorithms to help viewers find shows that are based on their preferences, as well as those they may not have initially chosen but are likely to enjoy. And the Internet of Things pulls in vast amounts of data from our interactions with physical devices to provide a host of new opportunities. 
If all of these diverse digital traces in the future can be harnessed and united to produce a coherent whole, or a digital self, if you will, then the implications of this advance could be momentous. We are on the cusp of generating our own or multiple digital selves. And we can see examples of this in different outlets, such as personal chatbots on sites like Replica, that use AI to create an emotional chatbot in your likeness. Through conversations with you, the chatbot adopts your behavior, preferences, the way you communicate, and so the more you chat with it, the more it'll sound like your replica. And uh, here, I just want to uh, uh, give a few more details on this replica story that it's uh, that 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 Erica mentioned because uh, it's an interesting one. Um, so this replica boat was actually like uh, created by someone whose uh, friend had passed away, uh, and he wanted to find to create a way to still interact to have that friend uh, live uh, further and to. Uh, be able to to still manifest itself and still interact with uh, with his his acquaintances. Uh, so through like very simple AI, and he actually he used most of uh, AI tools that were freely available. Yeah, I think he, he actually used uh, the IBM uh, Watson. Uh, he just like managed to mine the data, the conversations, the messenger app uh, of of his friend, and quite easily he was able to recreate the way of that person that person had to speak, like the the mannerism of speech, like the way that person was interacting. And this is only the beginning. Of course, this is easy to do in a sense, but it just like shows you how close we are to having this type of AI and this type of solutions mimicking people's not only way of talking, but pretty soon their behaviors and their choices. Uh, so why is this happening now? There's two main factors. The first one is that each person is producing ever more data. Uh, as Sarika mentioned, like when you shop, when you go on the internet, when you browse, uh, you are creating ever more data. The other one is there are advances in artificial intelligence itself. Uh, we don't want to get too technical here, as it's not the topic of the podcast, but the key point is we now have systems that can identify patterns within that data. So if you produce data, you have AIs that can identify these patterns and be able to recognize what is the best solution in a given context. Uh, to give just one example of that, AI systems are now much better than people I identifying, for example, tumors uh, when they see scans uh, of uh, patients. Uh, one thing that is important to understand and that I want to make clear is that this does not mean that an AI would broadly understand why it is making recommendations or what are the things it is making recommendations about. But it would become very good at identifying ways to help you out or point you to similar places, experiences uh, that you've experienced in the past. So again, uh, something that I think is a misconception is to understand AI as something that is really intelligent in the sense that it understands why it is making recommendations. That is not the case. Uh, what it is, is it recognizes patterns, uh, and in that sense, it is providing value. Uh, what it means for us, and this is something that we are really uh, focusing on at Claro, it means that you need to understand the human problems first in order to apply the AI to help people solve real problems. If you're starting by the technology, but you haven't defined the human problem before, you will not provide real value to people. Yeah, and that's something we firm, firmly believe here at Claro is that technology solutions, whatever, wherever they might be, need to be designed with real end-user people problems in mind. And AI is no exception. Now, that doesn't mean that we can use you know technology as the magic box or the magic stick, and strategy strategy can't just kick the problem down to the CIO's office or to IT and say they'll figure it out with tech. 
but we need to develop strategies around these emerging technologies that really meet real human needs first and then put technology in its place, which is enablement. Exactly. Um, and so as, as Richard is saying, like first we need to start by the users. We need to start by real people interaction. So what does that mean in the case of digital selves? What are the different types of interaction that we can think about? The first type is actually like social interactions. How, how do people interact with their friends in a social context, with their family? And here we think that a digital self can be an assistant uh, to these interactions. The second one, and this is the one that as business consultants came to us as probably the most obvious case uh, of, uh, of digital selves changing the way people are uh, interacting with companies is consumers and companies. So you can imagine this digital self as a form of a gatekeeper between a person and all the companies that are trying and trying to sell you products, offers, services. Really, this digital self could be uh, your helper, could be your coach, and could shield you from this abundance of choice. And the last type of interaction that we can think about is people in the workplace. This is something that uh, is also, of course, like highly important for businesses. How are interacting like the different people, the different types of employees that you have within your company, and not only within your company, but then with your providers, with your clients, here again, the digital selves can have a very important role to play. Now, this last area, the area of people in the workplace, or you know, let's place ourselves there, ourselves as human beings within organizations of other human beings, whether these are for-profit, non-profit, etc. Um, these were not the first place I thought about the application of digital selves when we started to, to knock around this, this topic. Um, but, you know, now that I think about it more, this makes perfect sense to really a, an initial application of this within the idea of the workplace. Because if you consider the benefit that a digital self could provide to both individuals and to the organizations that are part of as a whole in terms of productivity, creativity, etc., it's kind of amazing. And that's why we've decided to first focus on digital selves in the workplace, which happens to be the area of interest of Michael Schrage from MIT. A quick warning here, Michael was calling us, and for whatever reason, the quality of the recording was less than ideal. We want to apologize for this. This is our first podcast, so we're still learning. You will see that the sound quality of the next episode is already much better. Uh, so, so what we'll explore uh, in this podcast today is how can these digital self provide insights to people so they can be more efficient, a better version of themselves within the context of their work. Uh, to be very concrete, like you can imagine this as what would happen if every single employee at work would have a coach that he can rely to at any given moment in order to give him tips and advices on how to be more productive. Have you ever noticed how radically different you feel in different contexts? Or that certain situations trigger you to exhibit vastly different moods? Let's say you're the kind of person who's very extroverted, vocal and active at work, but the minute you head to the pub and spend some time with your colleagues after work, you find it difficult to make conversation and perhaps seem a little reserved and reticent. The fact is that what we call the self is multifaceted with competing behaviours, and this is hard to reconcile with the idea of one unified and continuous self. So when we think of the digital selves in the plural, we're actually building on existing literature in psychology, philosophy, and neuroscience that posits that our self is really multiple selves competing. I'm going to go into some social science theory here for a moment and just give two examples behind this. Firstly, uh, the psychologist William James posited a multiplicity of selves, and he thought the self was actually divided because it was made up of key tensions between three different types of selves. 
Firstly, the material self, so things that make up your bodily identity, your clothes and your belongings. Secondly, your social self, so this is the self you present in a given social context. And finally, your spiritual self, and that's the subjective I that you think of when you think about your personality and your thoughts. So essentially, he's saying that these three constituent selves make up the cohesive self at the end, so our selves are multifaceted. And this is similar to the example I gave earlier of the person at work and the person at the pub. The social self you present at the pub, that's how you're regarded and recognised by other people, might be different from your spiritual self, so how you perceive yourself and your behaviour. But the point is that we have both these identities, and neither can be reduced to just oneself. Secondly, in a similar vein, Ernest Goffman in his work The Presentation of Self in Everyday Life explores the idea of presenting the self through different roles, the idea that we performatively present versions of ourselves according to the context. And we can think of an example here of how we have these various dimensions to ourselves. We're usually not the same person at work as we are at home. We might interact differently with a CEO than a colleague. The public self you present when you're delivering a client presentation is probably different to the persona you are with your close friends. Essentially, we take on roles depending on the context and the people we're interacting with. This perspective is particularly useful to draw on for this discussion on digital selves, as the future suggests that digital agents will be managing these multiple selves, or our portfolio of selves, along with their varying personality traits and behaviours, as agents of our consciousness, selecting and presenting what is most appropriate and effective for any given situation. Technology, then, is going to be harnessed to help us actually take control of these multiple identities, amplifying our capacity to bring the appropriate self to new challenges and situations. So what Sarika says here, you know, on, on the surface, as you mentioned, dropping a little bit of deep social science on you, but if we step back, it's pretty clear, and, and I think we can reflect on our own lives that we know this to be true. Um, and it's necessary to be able to understand what the self is, that we are multiple, that we're made up of different elements or different identities that we use in different situations in order to create beneficial digital selves. What are we hoping to mimic from our physical, material, emotional, spiritual, social selves and amplify those? Um, what new elements do we want to add that we can through the digital self that we can't through our, our own spiritual, physical being? What do people want to achieve with this amplification of the self? And what new capacities or capabilities do we hope to provide to people while minimizing unintended consequences, which we have to be very careful of, obviously. If you are or you have multiple selves, then the question is, how can you leverage those different selves? How can you harness them in order to be a more efficient, a more satisfied, a more holistic employee? And so what this means for you, for, for the context of, uh, of business uh, managers, I think is the, the easiest way to put it is that maybe we've been using the wrong analogy, the wrong image to understand what these digital selves uh, where so far, if you read like articles in, in the press, uh, and you always hear about like a digital assistant, but an assistant is really someone that does things instead of you. An assistant automates tasks, but it doesn't augment tasks. And what we're starting to see, drawing from social science and building on what Rich said, is that probably the most uh, accurate and useful image to think of these digital selves is not an assistant, but more a mentor, more a coach, someone who, again, can help you harness, help you understand what are these different personalities that you have and how to best use them and control them 
in the context of the workplace. Uh, and this idea is, I think, at the core of what Michael has been working at the MIT. How can you really like leverage? How can you use technology in order to harness, in order to control what used to be uh, really hidden within you, but that you had no real grasp upon these different uh, versions of yourself? Uh, so here's what he has to say about reaping the benefits from the multiple selves. You consist of multiple selves, multiple modules, and maybe, just maybe, you shouldn't be looking at the notion of what should I tell my agent to do, but instead be asking, which self do I want to be? Which self can give me the best results, the best outcomes, the best insights? How do we manage a portfolio of selves as opposed to how do we do a better job of telling our agents what to do or what we want? So what Michael is saying here, we mentioned it, but I think it's an essential point to understand is that thanks to technology, we are at the cusp of being able to actively, intentionally control these different selves, these different personalities. And this really is a fundamental shift. Uh, to make it more concrete, let's think of what some of these selves could be. Right, so we want to point out four examples of different selves. So firstly, we can think of a social self. So let's take an employee who's introverted and perhaps finds it difficult to participate actively in the social life within the office. Here, we could envisage that a digital social self could help the individual to feel more confident, sociable and outgoing, or more influential at work in instances when the situation demands such a personality, like in the context of a client coming to the office. Another uh, type of self would be the highly productive self. So we all have been like in the context of having to do a presentation in, in a very tight deadline, something that you're supposed to uh, deliver for the day after tomorrow. Uh, you don't have time, you're with your colleagues. How do you make sure that you are your most productive self, that you are able to make the most work, the most valuable work uh, in a very tight time frame? Well, here again, your digital self might give you like very useful tips. Look, what you need to do is you need to work in, for example, um, two hours and not more than that. You need to be uh, changing the type of task that you do and you need to stop at this uh, given time in order to really like take a break and then be able to come back to it. So again, like this highly productive self can really be enhanced uh, by the advices of a digital self. We can also think of an imaginative self. So this would be a scenario in which a digital agent would assist someone in being more imaginative and unlocking creative potential. So essentially helping that self to find more innovative solutions or identify new ways of approaching a problem. And this kind of approach could be particularly useful to someone with a background in a traditional non-creative industry where these sorts of skills have not been cultivated. And lastly, we want to think of the learning self. And for me, this is probably the one that is the most important. How do you make sure that you are the most efficient at learning new skills? And as we know, we're going to uh, enter uh, a new era of, of work where learning new skills will be something that people constantly have to do all along their work life. So if you are able to really be good at that thing, really be good at learning new things, really be good at uh, quickly engaging, quickly um, becoming, uh, owning new skills, uh, it's obviously going to be a very important advantage in the new work context. And if I can just jump in there a second. I think this is really interesting if we if we think about the laddering of these different benefits or these different types 
um, digital selves that would be supporting us and, and working with us, the social self, the productive self, the imaginative self, the learning self. Um, depending on the role you have, the company or the type of company you work in, and your individual career goals, you can start to imagine a whole org chart of these digital selves that you'll augment yourself with. Um, everything from the worker bee to just get stuff off your plate to that mentor or life coach that really makes you like reflect on where you're going and, and, and how you should be spending most of your energy. So we can even imagine there being some sort of a, a chief of staff digital self to manage the many other digital selves we use in specific situations. And maybe some of these selves we use rarely, but we don't like presenting, for example. Maybe we have the presenter self. That person comes out and assists us to prepare, um, to remind us of all those things that help us get through that. Um, so I really think that if we, we look at these different digital selves and this idea of this portfolio, as mentioned before, it's a real key to how we can elevate this and the potential this represents for the individual also represents a huge potential in the business. Absolutely. And uh, the way Rich describes it, I think, is really like an ecosystem. So what you want to think about is you want to think of these different agents which play different roles and that interact together. And this leads us to like a very important question which is how do you then design these interactions? And here there's like two things that you need to think about. One is how do you gather the data? And the second, which is the trickiest one, is then how do you provide the feedback in a way that is not intrusive and that is meaningful to people? How do you create a form of engagement will make people want to interact with themselves and not feel in a sense freaked out or uneasy about so let's think what type of advice the selves would give. What does it mean to get advice? What does it mean to get recommendations? And then when I did more reading, I realized, and more research, that in fact, oftentimes, you respond to different advice depending upon the mood that you are in or the circumstances that you are in. And when one looks at serious social psychological research, cognitive psychological research, and indeed neurophysiological research, the notion of who is getting advice isn't the simple one because you are not you. So what Michael is really emphasizing here is, is something that he's been working on in his research. The idea that these digital cells will act in your interest as a mediating agent to make your life more efficient, hone your skill sets, and improve yourself. With AI, we can use technology, digital programs, to determine what kind of emails do we send, what kind of texts do we send that are most persuasive, that are most likely to be responded to, that are most likely to get the kind of results that we want. Or, what kind of analysis do we do that tends to be the most effective, the most insightful, the most important? Since they would continuously analyze data to moderate our interactions with the world, our digital selves will assist every choice we make. For instance, the agent could advise on what content to read to be more creative, when to take pauses, what to do during them, and what topics to talk about with a given client almost akin to an embedded CRM, constantly feeding us just the right contextually relevant recommendations. So most of the examples that we, we touched upon now are outwards looking, but some of the research of Michael is actually focusing on 
what type of advices the digital self can give to people to help them better understand themselves. So they are really like inwards looking. Let's hear what Michael has to say about that. Augmented introspection is AI. I want mm. people to think of AI not just being about artificial intelligence, but augmented introspection. The one thing I can say without hesitation is I believe average people will have, this is why we go back to Gauss's, Gaussian distributions and, and power laws. I believe people on average will have an average number and nature of multiple selves. I believe the people who are most fluent with multiple selves are the ones who do introspection better and can leverage introspection. You know, usually how do you leverage intelligence? How do you leverage skill? Now, how do you leverage yourself, yourselves? So the people who are skilled, who are talented at multiple selves, will indeed be likely, depending upon the nature of the economy, to capture disproportionate value for the disproportionate value their selves create. We think this is particularly interesting. With this, like, this might be the core of Michael's work. The idea here is that you really are able to design services that are augmenting human capabilities, that are allowing people to be more introspective, to know themselves better, in order to be more productive. Again, you're not trying to replace people, you're trying to augment people, which we think is the most promising way AI can be, can be used moving forward. Uh, a little detail here that is interesting as well is that you always hear that uh, creativity will be one of the skills that people will need moving forward because this creativity will complement the AI that will do all, in a sense, the technical work, the technical skills. Of course, this is true, but we hear a lot less about introspection. And this idea of introspection, that we think, is as important as creativity. How do you help people to be able to reflect upon themselves and to improve upon themselves, to be introspective, to really think about how they're doing things and how can they improve these things with the help of this AI agent? This is another skill that companies should start today to help their, their employees be better at uh, doing. And, and I was just going to jump in there and, and say one thing to follow up on, on what you say there, Cyril, is that if we think, you know, the, the general dialectic in the, in the marketplace is that AI is going to be good for deep process, uh, processing of information. But people are good, as you say, about creativity. And as you step back, you say, but we need to reflect, we need to see the big picture before we can be creative. So whether that is looking inside or looking outside, if we think about a company that is made up of 10,000 employees, and each of those employees is their own CEO with a whole staff of people to help them see the big picture, imagine the upside for that organization versus another organization that's just 10,000 people waiting to hear from the C-suite, what am I supposed to do? Absolutely, and I think what's, what's interesting here is like the idea that we mentioned two skills that will be super uh, um, important for people moving forward when they interact with the AI. Creativity on one hand, introspection or strategy on the other. The question we want to ask is, what are all the other skills? And here we think that we are at the beginning of this understanding, understanding how human intelligence can complement artificial intelligence. And it's by really like 
dig deeper into what will be these forms of interaction that we can then like really start to think of, well, those are the other skills that companies need to invest in right now in order to maximize the potential of this AI plus human, uh, artificial intelligence plus human intelligence collaboration. So building on what Rich and, and Cyril have just mentioned, the next question would be how will these digital selves actually materialize? Manifestations of these digital selves are still to be defined and tested. There are now endless possibilities in terms of text, voice, virtual reality, and augmented reality. But amidst all these opportunities, it remains critical to build the right user experience and interactions. I believe the co-evolution of multiple selves with multiple agents will be a, a transformative revolution because that's how individuals will scale or extend, quote unquote, themselves. And that is why I believe disproportionately focusing on the agent literally and figuratively cheats yourself because agents do what they're told, but it's the self that does the instruction. It's the self that sets the expectations and criteria. Absolutely. They require different machine learning, different training, different AI. A multiple self is different than another agent. So as Michael indicates, we're heading towards a future in which there'll be a network of different types of agents. In order to successfully capitalize on this, we'll need systems thinking to be able to create such an ecosystem. So if you're an executive and you heard us about now, you're probably thinking, wow, this sounds transformative. This really sounds that it's uh, something that will disrupt not only my industries, but probably all industries. But really what you're wondering is, what can I do now to prepare for this? So let's hear what Michael has to tell us about what he thinks companies should start doing now in order to prepare for that future. The most important thing I believe that companies can do is to, to build exactly on what you said, which is to promote reflection, to promote self-awareness. How do we do this? Let me give you a wonderful example that is not going to be expensive at all. That when organizations do performance reviews or job reviews, part of the job review is you, employee, you, associate, you, colleague, present to us your calendar, your email. Show us how reflective you are about what makes you most productive and most valuable to the organization. Demonstrate reflection. Number two, where do you, employee, associate, peer, colleague, need to improve? What does the organization need to do? The organization needs to provide an app, a service, a recommendation engine that allows or enables or empowers that employee, that colleague, to get better along the dimensions that matter. So what are we doing? What we're doing is we are treating digital media, digital platforms, not just as a way to get your job done, but a way to self-improve and selves-improve and track, monitor, measure self-improvement. Most organizations, I mean, if you're a Microsoft shop, if you're a Salesforce shop, if you're a Google shop, 
Most of these ingredients, as you pointed out, they already exist. But they're not being packaged that way. They're not being managed that way. They're not being organized that way. That is the, you'll forgive my comparison here, that is the trillion-dollar opportunity that is not being explored in the way that it should be and the way that it could be. So there's a couple of things that we want to build upon here and pick upon. Uh, the first thing that we want to say is that what Michael uh, is telling us is that you should not start by the technology. He started by saying you need to promote reflection and self-awareness in your staff. So what we're saying is that this is a corporate culture change. This is not a technological change. And once you're starting to do that, then you can think of the technology. Then you can think of, for example, something intriguing, a recommendation system for your staff. But again, start by the people, start by understanding the problem, and then the technology will come. The other thing that he's saying is that most of the ingredients already exist. So this is, again, not a technological problem. This is not about like building a new AI. This is about putting all these bricks together and putting them together in the right strategy that is people-centric. So to me, it really suggests what a company can do today is start to explore the possibilities that we're discussing here. Start doing experiments, even if they're very small scale, even if they're lo-fi, just proofs of concept of something that might work, and connect this exploration and this experimentation to your company's mission. What do you do? Why do you exist? And the culture of your company. How do you organize? What do people believe you are? How do you communicate? And start to see where are the opportunities for digital selves to augment your employees, to make them happier, more productive, and really to, to rise the future of your business. So just building on this um, and, and doing a, a, a little segue into the next section of the, of the podcast and discussion, we talked about very positive and transformative things, but we cannot, uh, we have to mention the fact that this also raises very important and tricky questions uh, as to how will these uh, different selves and these entities uh, be interacting with people. So this, if we, if we, if we think about it, there's like three main questions that uh, we need to address. Right, so these three questions would be, firstly, what are these entities? Secondly, who owns them? And finally, how do we interact with them? So let's hear from Michael on this question of who will own the digital selves. The big debate in 2018 where we're having, when we are now having this conversation is, who owns your data? Maybe the debate is in 2021, who owns yourselves? Because yourself wouldn't exist without those machine learning algorithms, without the instrumentation. So we are moving to an era where digital selves, the legal status of digital selves, may be a source of great con conflict and controversy so really, this is the crux of, of Michael's research. The important question in the future will be the thorny legal question of who owns yourself, since data will just be a mechanism for the self to work. From there, we can extrapolate and think of the implications of who will the self serve. Or to put it differently, for whose benefit will the digital selves act? For instance, how can we make sure that the company you work for has interests that are aligned to your own interests? But it's not just the legal implications that we can think of as posing potential issues for the future of digital selves. We can think of five key tensions that would arise. Firstly, a tension between autonomy and external enhancement. We can speculate that there would be a conflict between what I may think is the best option for me 
and what the agent considers to be the appropriate course of action. In a sense, then, through this directed augmentation, I'm losing my free will, which is the essence of being human. Another tension that we have to think about is serendipity versus engineered interaction. So part of the beauty, part of what makes us human, is the fact that we don't know what's going to happen next. The fact that, you know, we might run into a colleague, we might run into a friend, and we don't know how the conversation is going to go. The digital self, on the other hand, is all about prediction. So how far can you push that prediction before it takes away the humanity that characterizes us? A third tension we can think of is, is similar to the first, in terms of being a conflict between being active and passive. As human beings, we tend to prefer being active and choosing a course of action rather than responding or reacting to something, someone, or some input. But the case of digital cells necessitates reacting to the advice from the agent at the expense of being a passive self, if you will. Another question that is worth asking, even if it's slightly philosophical, is does a best, a best self, the best version of something, need imperfect versions in order to exist? If you think about it, we're talking about a world where people will always have to be performing, always have to be the best version of themselves. Don't they need downtown at some time? Don't they need to be able to as well rest, to be not at 100% in order to be that best self when they want to be? Exactly, and as Cyril said, the final tension we can think of is with these digital cells continuously enhancing elements of ourselves and optimizing us to be the best versions of ourselves, we can speculate as to what downtime would actually mean in this context. Put differently, will people's brains need time to rest and be their best selves again? And more importantly, is optimized downtime still downtime? And what I ask is, can we just take a mental health day and just send my digital selves in to do my work that day? I mean, this is there's so many different dystopian and utopian futures we can imagine with these things, but I still believe that you know the mechanisms in the marketplace will serve us well here. I don't think people will subscribe to services where they feel like they're losing their legal or the essence of who they are to a corporation. Um, there'll need to be some sort of a value exchange. I think now I use Google search incessantly. I put alerts in my calendar. This has not made me less human. This has just taken some dumb stuff off my plate. Um, so if we think about the data of the self versus the enabling services that enable it, there are going to be some negotiation of what stays with me and what goes outside. Although I even feel today when we talk about data, we talk about the data belongs to the individual. But data is always created in my relationship to another individual or a business or a government. So why wouldn't that be shared instead of saying I own it, right? So I think that these are just a continuation of the conversations we, we've had, but as long as there's a clear value exchange and whatever I pay for these kinds of services are more than offset by the additional value, however I want to describe that, whether that is economic value or you know reaching that godhead of self-actualization, this will be a pathway we'll move down and we will negotiate. To build, to build upon what, what Rich just said, um, I also want to be positive and I want to say that the amount of value that can be created by this system is such that I think everyone will win in the end. The user, the companies and government. One interesting way though like to, to see how these different ecosystems could develop is to think of like three simple models. You have China on one end, you have Europe and then you have the US. If you think of China, it is possible that most of the value will actually be captured 
by the state, because this is what's happening now. If you think of the US, well, the US is really like a pro-business type of environment. So again, who will own the digital selves and probably benefit most from them will be the companies, which does not mean that the users, the consumers, the people will not benefit as well. They certainly will, but the share will probably be mostly to, to the companies. And another interesting model is, of course, like the European model, where we are uh, here uh, at Claro, and we've seen lately that the GDPR is a first push towards a regulation that really helps empowering people to get back some of the value that they are creating from their data and further ahead, probably from their, their digital selves. So there is like a role for regulations, and there are mechanisms that can ensure that people will benefit the most from these uh, digital selves. Uh, in order to conclude, and I think uh, we touched upon like very different things, uh, it was a very dense and rich uh, episode of that, uh, of that podcast. Uh, what we want to say is that there are, this is, we think, a transformational, a tremendous opportunity. It is also a risk, as we saw, there's a lot of questions that are unanswered. Uh, and at Clara, what we believe in, we believe that it is by really starting to understand, to soundly understand, to deeply understand people's behaviors, people's needs, people's wants, that we can mitigate these risks, that we can ensure that we start by designing something on the foundations of what people will really want and will people want to use. So again, I think this is something that uh, each company should, should start to, to look into, to think about really soon, because it will be transformational. Uh, and the way to start is start by understanding people. Um, the last thing I would like to do is like, of course, we'd like to, to thank Michael uh, for sharing his insights and hypotheses with us. Uh, just to mention two of his books that you can uh, uh, buy and, and, and find on Amazon. Uh, Serious Play, How the World's Best Companies Simulates to Innovate and Shared Minds, the New Technologies of Collaboration are both widely available. Uh, in the next episode of the series, we'll move away from the workplace and we'll look deeper into what are the implications of digital selves in people's social interactions with a focus on use cases and design. This is something that we touched upon in this podcast, how can you design that interaction? How can you ensure that people will not be freaked out, will not be uneasy, but that they will really create uh, a form of uh, peaceful and almost transparent interaction with digital selves? Uh, and the other thing we'll look into is how and when will people accept to be assisted by those digital selves? Through what type of interactions? What will be the use cases that most make sense when you think of these digital selves? Um, any additional comments? No, I think you got it. Well, thanks for listening, uh, and we'll speak to you again soon.